Jonah chapter 4, the scripture says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Now, before we go any further, we have to remind ourselves what it was that displeased Jonah. As we learned and talked about from two weeks ago, it was the fact that the, the Ninevites, these Assyrian people, repented of their sins at the warning and the preaching of Jonah. And they responded favorably. <laughs> and they did what God wanted them to do. They fulfilled the very reason and intent why God sent Jonah to Nineveh and they repented and God showed mercy. Now again, as we said, one would think logically that Jonah would be ecstatic. I mean, what preacher, what evangelist, what missionary doesn't want to know that God used their preaching in their ministry? And man, I mean, you would think he'd be happy, excited that the whole people, all the people, the whole city turned to the Lord from the king all the way down to the littlest of ones and the most insignificant ones. They responded favorably. And yet that is exactly what made Jonah mad. We know it made him mad because it says, and he was very angry, verse 1. And listen to his prayer. He prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? In other words, Lord, while I was still in Israel, as I was contemplating, making the decision on whether or not I was going to obey your call, I was mulling that over in my mind, in my conscience. And I knew, this is what he's saying, I knew that this was going to happen. And that's the reason I ran. That's the reason I wanted to get as far away from your presence as I possibly could, he said. Therefore, I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, Lord, you're of great kindness, and it repented thee of the evil. In other words, I knew, Lord, that if they responded and they repented, that you would repent. And we already preached that and talked about what that means. That you would show and extend mercy and grace. Verse 3, therefore now, O Lord, notice this, gang. Take away my life from me. I beseech thee, Lord. Take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. Verse 4 is very interesting. It's a rhetorical question, but it's a direct question. From God to Jonah, then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? Jonah are you doing right by being angry? Jonah, do you think that you're justified by being angry? We asked you this question two weeks ago. Have you ever been disappointed by God? Has there ever been a time when you felt it difficult uh, to do what Jesus was wanting you to do or calling you to do? Or have you ever been frustrated at God, disappointed that God showed somebody grace instead of judgment? Uh, we have an angry, confused, disappointed man here in conversation with God. 
This is a private struggle between God and Jonah, and the Lord in his goodness lets us eavesdrop on this conversation. Now, there's a reason why, because God in his infinite wisdom knew that Jonah's struggle would be our struggle so often. And so we talked, number one, about a perplexing irritation. We find that in verse 1. Uh, that Jonah was angry, literally broken up. Uh, the words, he was very angry. It literally means he was hot with vexation. And the reason he was angry was because he encountered a people whom he felt it hard for him to want God's kindness for. And when God, in fact, showed kindness, instead of showing judgment, it angered him. And we talked two weeks ago about how you and I potentially struggle with that very same thing. People who perhaps have heard us, slighted us, slandered or disappointed us in some way or betrayed us. And we have this innate sense because of our depravity, y'all, we have this innate sense of revenge. Not just justice, but revenge. You see, you and I have a sense of justice because we're made in the image of God. But revenge, revenge is because that sense of justice has been perverted by the fall of man. You and I battle that. So you know what Jonah was angry over? He was angry over God's grace. Then secondly, I want us to see as we continue tonight a perceived injustice. Now this brings us to verses 2 and 3. A perceived injustice. Here in verse 2, this is what he was saying. He was saying, Lord, you, you know this was my thinking when I was still back in Israel. Lord, you know I suspected all along that this was going to happen since I know you're gracious, you're merciful, you're forgiving. And he said, that's why I ran from you. One writer, Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners, listen to this. He said, for God to be merciful is for God to be God. And I agree with that. And here was God being God to these Ninevites. Here was God being merciful to these sinners because they responded in a way that he said. And you have a prophet who got angry at God. Adam Clark said this, that only someone of a fiendish nature will be grieved because God's mercy triumphed over his judgment. In other words, only somebody who has, as we would say, gang, major issues <laughs> would be upset when God chose to show mercy instead of showing judgment and wrath. Well, there's no doubt. My man Jonah was really struggling with some serious baggage. Not just psychological baggage. That was the least of his worries. Here's the deal. His main problem, gang, wasn't psychological, okay? Now, we can, we can do a psychoanalysis of our man Jonah all we want to, but his real issue wasn't that he was a head case, okay? That's not, he really wasn't a head case, Jonah's issue was spiritual. 
Jonah's issue was he was really struggling over some bitterness issues and some anger issues and some issues of misplaced priority. Now, can we take a time out and say that our dear brother Jonah isn't the only one who ever struggles with those? (laughs) You ever struggle with anger issues? You ever struggle with misplaced priority issues? You ever struggle with bitterness issues? If you sit here tonight and say, no, I never do, then you struggle with lying issues, <laughs> right? Now, I'm not justifying, but we all, from time to time, struggle with the very same thing that he struggled with. He's trying to revert to justifying his own disobedience. You see, self-centeredness was at the very heart of what Jonah was dealing with. Now, that sounds harsh, but it's true. He was being self-centered. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Notice in verse 2 and 3 alone, all the personal pronouns and the references to himself. Listen to what he says. I, my, me, no less than 10 different times in our English translation do we see these words. And, and, And when he's voicing his complaint, when he's airing out his grievance to God, what's he doing? He's making it all about him. Paul Tripp said that Jonah makes the hope of the world sound like a character defect. What's the hope of the world? Man, the hope of the world is that God loves sinners and that if sinners will respond to God's offer of grace, God will in fact show grace to every sinner that responds by faith and repentance. That's not a character defect on God. That's something to rejoice over and to praise him for. But here's the prophet who is hurling these insinuations about God, basically saying, Lord, you have messed up. You didn't do right here in this situation. Why didn't God do right? Well, in Jonah's mind, what right would have been was, would be for God to destroy the Ninevites. One writer said in Jonah's mind, what occurred in Nineveh was more like a theological embarrassment or a divine faux pas. (laughs) In other words, literally what we have, gang, don't forget this, Jonah by this time has gone out of the city. He's sitting on a hill overlooking the city of Nineveh and he's over there going, good grief. I'm almost like Charlie Brown, you know. I, I, I'm so embarrassed. What are you embarrassed about? I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated. What are you frustrated about, man? I cannot believe that God, that God forgave, that God showed mercy, that God saved sinners. Why was he like this? Simply because God acted according to his own character and not according to Jonah's ideas of how God should operate. Are there ever times in your life when God chooses to operate 
absolutely consistent with his character, but sometimes it may not jihaw with your agenda or with what you think God ought to do. And that happens to us all the time. And when that happens, ladies and gentlemen, whether it's how he deals with someone else or how he chooses to deal with us, when God operates in a way that doesn't fit with our schedule and agenda, just like we talked about Sunday morning, how do we respond to that? And can I tell you something, gang? It is not God's obligation to change his character to fit our expectations. This is in the Bible for you and I to see and have as a vehicle and a lens through which we see our own hearts. Here's the the irrationality with all of this. The very grace that was shown to Jonah is the very grace for which he is angry at God. One commentator said, while there may have been some reasons for Jonah's displeasure, it is sad to see him place limits on the same grace that saved him. Can I say this? That when you and I exhibit that kind of hostility toward other people, we are doing the very same thing. We're placing limits on God's grace and what we're saying inadvertently is, Lord, so-and-so's not worthy of your kind treatment. You know you're in deep spiritual trouble, ladies and gentlemen, when the sins of others Concern you more than your own sins. And that results in irritation, harshness, condemnation, and judgment. You see, being concerned over my own sins results in compassion and gestures of grace towards others. The problem is we want to hold other people to a different lens than we hold ourselves. You see, Jonah still lacks the full life-altering realization of the depth of his own sin. Because of that, one writer said, he is shockingly self-righteous. This doesn't mean that we condone permissive morality. It doesn't mean that we don't ever call out sin. It doesn't mean that we do not hold to a biblical standard. No, dear friend. Grace never calls wrong right. Okay? So God here is not promoting the condoning of wrong. But self-righteous people view the sins of others with a heightened sensitivity. A self-righteous person is critical. A self-righteous person doesn't befriend sinners. A self-righteous person doesn't really try to evangelize. A self-righteous person doesn't demonstrate humility. A self-righteous person isn't prone to apologize when we've done wrong. 
And sad to say, unless God really moves on their heart and conscience, a self-righteous person doesn't ever see that they're self-righteous. <laughs> and then verse 3 he says, Now, Lord, if you would, because I'm so angry, because I'm so hurt and offended by you, just go ahead and take my life away. Just go ahead and kill me. In other words, because of all this, God, I just want to go ahead and die. Notice this. When you read these words in verse 3, all right, Lord, just go ahead and kill me. Because of all this. Because of what? Of perceived injustice. Because God didn't deal with sinners the way you thought he should? Yeah. Notice who the focus is of all this in Jonah's mind. Verses 2 and 3, the focus isn't God. The focus isn't even the Ninevites. Who's the focus? Who, if I could ask it this way, who's the center of Jonah's universe as exhibited in verse 2 and verse 3? Jonah. He's his own God. He, he's more important. Certainly he's weight. We, we know he thinks he's more important than the Ninevites. <laughs> you ever? I, boy, I do. I am so convinced sometimes that Christian, you are more important than so-and-so. Your needs are more important. Your opinions are way more important. Your thoughts, your words, your demands, your comfort is more important. But we're not even talking about that. We're talking about the fact, y'all, that he thought he himself was more important than God. That's a dangerous place to live. It's a dangerous place to be. You see, it'll be a good day in my life when I truly embrace the fact that the events of my life aren't just for me. You see, God didn't arrange this just for Jonah. <laughs> this was for others. Can I tell you that God arranges the events of our life? Not just for us sometimes, but for other people's benefit and good. You see, there is a sovereign God who interweaves lives and causes people to intersect with one another so that you and I can be a blessing, maybe sometimes even without even realizing it. God isn't just doing things for us or in our lives. When he does things in our lives, look how often, and sometimes we don't even see it, look how often it's for other people too. It spills over. God's dealings and workings are, there's a ripple effect. And then I close with this. Verse four is a piercing inquiry. On the part of God. You see, Jonah has said all he's going to say. Now God speaks. And God knows how to probe. He knows where to put his finger, doesn't he? He knows how to get our attention. He knows how to wake us up. He knows how to shake us a little bit. Just at the right way. 
to get our attention. And what we have in verse 4 is God getting Jonah's attention. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry, Jonah? In other words, are you justified in this? Do you really have a right to be angry with me? (laughs) The question itself was intended to awaken Jonah out of his selfishness, out of his stupor, out of his sin. Notice, gang, even in the wording, God's patience here with Jonah. He doesn't blast Jonah. He doesn't squash Jonah. (laughs) He's not trying to humiliate Jonah. He's simply trying to wake Jonah up and get Jonah to correct his faulty thinking and his faulty attitude. Here's the awesomeness of this verse and the awesomeness of God that once again, God is showing Jonah the same patience that was the source of Jonah's irritation to start with. The truth is, just like us, this is God loving Jonah too much to leave him like he was. And God loves you and me too much to leave us uncorrected and unconvicted in our sin, in our blindness, in our spiritual ignorance. And we better thank God for it. Because that's not a curse, ladies and gentlemen. That's a blessing. He says in Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke, I correct, and I chasten. I spank. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. That's why he says in Hebrews 12, 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth, he scourgeth every son whom he receives. He's going to correct us. Receive his corrective voice in your conscience as an incredible reminder, number one, that he loves you beyond description that he always knows what's best and that he always has your growth and your character building as his best interest in mind. Not our comfort, our character. 